bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be discussing what baptism with fire is and why and how it takes place. That is, we want to look at the what, the why and how of baptism with fire. Last week, we had seen the scriptural imperative for the baptism with fire or of fire or in fire. We had said last week, of course, that any of those three prepositions would work. And we noted when we were discussing this last week that although it is a baptism that may not feature in the theology of many a Christian, it is nonetheless scripturally a baptism that every Christian must undergo. In fact, we saw that the Lord Jesus went through it right from conception to crucifixion. We noted that the early church went through it themselves. In the same manner, we also shall no doubt undergo baptism with fire. Indeed, if we are to be glorified, we noted that we will have to suffer. So the pathway to being glorified with the Lord is to suffer along with him, to suffer according to his will, to suffer for him, to suffer for the gospel. That suffering for the gospel is a euphemism for baptism with fire. Finally, we use the process of roasting or grilling a chicken, of producing wine from grapes, and of refining silver in fire as an illustration of baptism with fire. The process that brings these things to a place where people can delight in is not a simple process. For example, when you're grilling the chicken, if you were to ask the chicken, the chicken would tell you of intense pain and suffering if it could do that. But for the person who wants to partake of the chicken, it needs it to be very well done, quite brown, the heat going into every part of it. And so it doesn't matter how much protestation we'll get from the chicken. The person who wants to enjoy it would say, no, you have to go through the whole hog. The same thing with the wine. When you're trying to get a good wine from the grapes, you need to get it through that press where they squeeze everything that is juice and skin and everything to give you the fresh wine that you want. The same thing with silver. Silver has to go through a refining process to remove the dross of silver so that pure silver, sterling silver can come forth. And this is the kind of thing that baptism with fire illustrates. It is a process that brings the Christian from the place of salvation to the place of perfection, as it were. Let's begin today as we define or describe what baptism with fire is. Baptism with fire occurs when a believer in Christ is immersed or submerged in suffering, in trials, in tribulations, in hardships, affliction, persecution, deprivation, temptations, and so on and so forth. But he emerges from these with his faith in Christ and his confession of his faith in Christ intact and indeed stronger. That is baptism with fire, where the person undergoes the challenges of life, if you want to put it that way, which are multifaceted. But at the end of it, he comes out with his faith in Christ still remaining intact, if not stronger. His confession of his faith in Christ intact, if not stronger. That is what baptism with fire is all about. It's not the one that destroys the person, but one that produces a better person. In Hebrews chapter 10, from verse 32 to 39, Bible says, But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions 
of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The author of Hebrews is here saying, remember the time when you suffered, your own goods were plundered because of your faith or because you supported others who had the same faith as you had. And they plundered your goods. They deprived you of so many things. Remember those times when you suffered for the sake of the gospel. Do not throw away your confidence, your faith. This is basically what was happening when people were going through their own baptism with fire. And then he ends up by saying that we are not of those who draw back onto perdition. No, we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Our faith continues until our eventual salvation in eternity. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, Peter writes, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. At first he spoke about the wonderful things that God has in store for us as believers. And then he talks about what God has kept for us in eternity. And says, that is enough to make us to rejoice. Even though at this point in time, here on earth, we are going through challenges, which he calls various trials. We are facing suffering. We are facing tribulation. We are facing persecution. We are facing deprivation. We are facing temptation from Satan. He says these things are there so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Even though we don't see him, we rejoice. We remain firm in the midst of these trials. Whilst we go through the baptism with fire, we remain firm. Our faith stands. Why? Because it shows that our faith is genuine. If we cannot stand when we go through these challenges, then it means that our faith is empty. That leads us to the next thing. Why does baptism with fire take place? Let me read Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 from the message translation. It says, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. In the New King James Version, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So baptism with fire comes to prove the genuineness of our faith. To find out whether indeed our faith is genuine or we are just one of those people who go to church and make noise. There are a lot of people who go to church and make noise. When life challenges come, they fall apart. Baptism with fire comes to prove such people. We want to emerge from this baptism better than we went in. Or at least maintaining and keeping that faith intact. Proving the genuineness of our faith. So why does baptism with fire take place? We've said one, to prove the genuineness of our faith. To prove that our faith is not fake. Our faith is not just a faith that is standing because we are receiving good from God. But when things that are seemingly not working well comes, then we have a problem. One very key thing why we go through it, baptism with fire, is because before God can commit his work into your hands, you will have to be tested. And what is interesting is that Satan is on hand to do the testing through temptation. 
God will test us. But Satan says, no, 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 no. If you test your children yourself, they will pass. Let me test. So what does God do? God prepares us and then sends us to the examination hall. And we'll see that in Luke chapter 4, which we'll read shortly. God wants you and I to succeed. He wants us to pass that test. And so what has he done? He equips us with the Holy Spirit and with his word. Satan, on the other hand, wants us to fail. And what does he do? He does it through trickery, building in us doubt, and so on and so forth. Let's look at Luke chapter 4 from verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, having been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He now returned from the Jordan. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. In verse 2, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. He was sent there by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because he committed a sin. No, he was going to be empowered. And now Satan is saying, you are going to empower him to come and deal with me. Let me prove him. Let me prove that he is not worthy of this thing. And so the Holy Spirit says, okay, we've prepared him. Now go for the exam. It's like your teacher prepares you for a national exam that he is not going to be the one setting the question. But there's a syllabus. And so he trains you, teaches you, instructs you on the syllabus and how to answer the questions. And when it's time, he knows that his job is done and then he can now release you to go and take the general examination. Our syllabus for facing this test is the word of God. Our teacher is the Holy Spirit. That examination is a baptism with fire. So let me continue. Verse 3 of Luke chapter 4. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went in filled with the Holy Spirit. He returned in the power. He had been given power. He had been given authority. He now had everything he needed to do the work. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He had begun his ministry. But he went through that test first. He went through that baptism with fire. At least this segment of it at that time. The Bible says, and Satan left him waiting for a more opportunity. And so there were several other times when Satan came to tempt him, to make him be swayed away from whatever it is that he has come to achieve. Let me tell you this. Satan only needs to succeed once, except for the grace of God. If Satan succeeds once, we are finished. But the grace of God is always there to help us, knowing our frailties. So let's examine what has happened here. One of the things that I noted here in this test of the Lord Jesus Christ was, will you use the power of God for selfish purposes? He was hungry. He said, if you say you are the son of God, turn the stone into bread and eat. Will you abuse the power of God? That's one of the things they're going to check. The baptism comes to test some of those things in us. 
to prove them in us. Will you place your desire above the word of God? Will you place what you want to do over and above what God says? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. So are you living by every word? This is one of the tests. Another thing that we see from this is how do you respond to the glories of this world? The fame, the wealth, the acclaim, and so on and so forth. Because he showed him in a moment of time. Some of us wonder, how could he have done that? Look, in your imagination, Satan can come in your imagination and show you things. How you will become great. How you will be known. And then he will tell you, bow down to me. I will give it to you. And if you are lured into such false things, then you are finished. So everyone is going to check, how does this fellow respond to the glories of this world? Is he taken in by it? Then the next one is, would you worship God only or still worship God if he doesn't give you what you want? Are you going to stick to the worship of God? Many people have found alternatives to God. If it's not working here, if they can't get it at the time they want to get it, they shift to something else. We're not willing to wait and stay. And this is one of the things that baptism with fire checks. Can we trust this fellow with power? That's why you find so many people today that heaven cannot trust with power. They now go to herbalists. These are pastors. They go and look for power in esoteric places. And you're wondering, what is it all about? Then Satan came and asked him to jump because the angels will handle him. So the question there is, will you engage in acts that will put God to the test? Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to act recklessly? Like we see today, many pastors are acting recklessly. I've said this. If you have faith strong enough, to walk exposed in this era of COVID-19. Good for you. But because of my weak brother, I will not do it. It is not because I'm stupid or foolish. No, I'm not selfish. I take cognizance of other people. Why do I want to crowd them in a room and say they must worship God? And then when they get this thing, I am not able to pray for them to be healed. That is when I start avoiding them. But I orchestrated it. These are the questions being asked today. These are the questions that we will go through to prove this is the proving. This is baptism with fire. God, can we hand over the power to throw out Satan, to cast Satan out? The power to heal the sick. Can we entrust it in the hands of a reckless man? And Satan is there to say, you can't give him that power. See how reckless he was. See what he did. The same Satan who tested you is the one who was point to God and says, see what he did. Have you forgotten what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden? In Genesis chapter 3, when he went and began to say to Eve, did God indeed say that if you eat of any tree, you will die? He said, no, it's a particular tree that God said. He said, don't mind God. He knows that the day you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. Eve was not ready to wait for God to do what he wants to do. She considered everything that God has said and added a fruit that is able to make one wise. And then she took it and ate it. And then went to the husband. He too now took unquestioned what God had said. Do not take. Are you going to live by the word of God? Or are you going to live by the word of your spouse? By the word of your pastor? By the word of your prophet? Or your bishop? Or whatever it is that you call them. Note that when the temptation was over, at least that phase of the temptation, when it was over, the Lord returned, like I said earlier, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He had received that power and could now effectively begin his ministry. Having overcome that state. Of course, there were many other hurdles along the way for him. So the reason for baptism with fire, number one, to test the genuineness of our faith. Number two, to prove whether or not we can be trusted with the power of God. Because when God entrusts you with power, it means that he has given it to you. Whatever you say, it will happen. If you are careless with your lips, how does he give you that kind of power? Another reason why we go through the baptism with fire. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter yes in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord let me read it in the new living translation can anything ever separate us from christ's love does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death as the scriptures say for your sake we are killed every day we are being slaughtered like sheep no despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us and i am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from god's love neither death nor life neither angel nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from god's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of god that is revealed in christ jesus our lord here paul is speaking about the love that god has for us that nothing can separate us but the question is do you know that do you believe that because satan wants to make you feel that god hates you or god is punishing you through the baptism with fire or that god has abandoned you but we have his word so through baptism with fire, we see that we are making a statement to Satan that God cannot abandon me. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. Who gave his son for me? Nothing will separate me. Not even death, not life, not demons, not angels, not trials, not pleasures, not poverty, not wealth, not sickness, not health. It's a statement we make. We speak with all, if I can use that word, pride in knowing who God is and what he has said about us. Paul documents, as it were, a CV of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he knew that God had not abandoned him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 27, just read a bit of it. It says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant, in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequently, in deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. What can separate me? That's what you say. What is it that will separate? Is it these things? No, I know that God loves me. This is a baptism I must go through. The genesis of my faith must be proven. My loyalty to God comes into question, but I will give an answer, a worthy answer to say, I am loyal to Almighty God. That brings me to answering a sub-question. Why are we teaching baptism with fire? Besides the fact that it is a foundational doctrine that every believer must understand that you will go through this thing, we want to note that there are times that we will go through these things and we need to know it in advance so that we can be prepared for it. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke this to Peter and the disciples. 
And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That is when you have repented. Now, what is the Lord saying here? He said, Satan has requested permission to sift him as wheat. Why? Peter was a pillar. And Satan was like saying, you want to use this fellow to open the door of salvation to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and then you'll be able to cast me out of people's lives. And you say, I'm not going to test him. No, 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 no. I need to test him. And that's what Lord said. He has obtained permission to sift him as wheat. To check every nook and cranny, every detail about Peter. This is baptism with fire we're talking about here. We need to understand it. Otherwise, when it comes, we will miss what is being said here. The essence is to prepare you and I for impending challenges, impending trials that Satan will bring. Indeed, after Peter had returned, after he had been restored by the Lord and he came back, the Lord asked him some questions in John chapter 21 from verse 15 to 19. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What is going on here? The Lord was asking him a simple question, but the relics, as it were, if I can use that expression, of what had happened when he denied the Lord was still there. Even though he had been restored, he still felt that he was being held on that thing. But the Lord was saying something else. What the Lord was saying to him was that, feed the sheep because you love me, not because you love them. Because the sheep will do things sometimes that will offend you. But if you do it out of love for me, it will not matter. You will overcome such a time. Because you are doing it out of love for me. But if you are doing it because you love them, which is what we hear today say, oh, this man loves the flock. This man loves the church. No, it's wrong. Because when they do something wrong to you, you will curse them. There are people who are cursing their flock. Cursing people all over the place. When they're supposed to bless. In verse 18, the Lord now told him, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you gathered yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't wish. In verse 19, we get an understanding of what has been said in it. It says, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. You see, he uses the term glorify God. He doesn't say he will be destroyed. No, he will glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. We are looking at the warnings to prepare us for what would come ahead. The Lord is so gracious. He doesn't want any one of us to fail. So he gives us advance warning. He prepares us in advance for what is going to come. It's amazing that a church was warned about what will happen. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, this thing says the first and last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So I know them. I know those people who say that they are Christians, but they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. And I know that you are poor, but you are rich. I know the challenges you are going through. So don't think that God does not do. He knows. But he has also equipped you to be able to overcome. In verse 10, it says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. 
and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This was a warning that the Lord gave to the church in Smyrna. Says Satan is going to tempt some of you. He's going to throw some of you into prison. He's going to even kill some of you. The reason why we are teaching this is also to alert you to the imminence of the sufferings that will befall the believer. If people are not prepared for this, when the time comes, they will fall away. They will not just fall, they will fall away. Many people are already falling away. And this was Satan is going to tempt many people. He's going to throw people in prison. He's going to kill many people. Today we are hearing so much noise. Oh, they are killing Christians in Southern Kaduna. Oh, they are killing Christians in Plateau. They are killing Christians in Benway. What is the noise about? The Lord has forewarned. It's because we are not prepared to die for the sake of the gospel. We need to be praying. We need to be asking the Lord to strengthen us, to help us to overcome these things. By the grace of God, next week, we'll discuss the prerequisites, what we need to have in order to overcome and triumph through the baptism with fire. Some of us are already undergoing some of these temptings by Satan. Some have fallen already. And the Lord is alerting us, stand firm, stand firm. So another reason why we are teaching this is to alert you. It's imminent. For some of us, we're already in it. For some others, it can happen anytime. Be ready. Besides the fact that you are being prepared, go over the word of God. Get into prayer. We'll look at some of these things next week by the grace of God. The third reason why we are teaching this is so that you'll be able to overcome and not fall and not fail and not faint. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says that we should not think that something strange is happening when we go through the challenges of life that we are now facing and not faint. The baptism with fire will come. Don't think it is strange. Don't think something that is uncommon is happening. It says rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You are suffering along with Christ so that you will be glorified with him. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. In verse 9 he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Commit your soul to him when you go through these challenges. This is the essence of our teaching. This That brings us to the last point we want to discuss. How does baptism with fire occur? Let's read a few scriptures very quickly. I told you earlier that the syllabus for passing the baptism with fire is the Bible. Everything you need is here. Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 44. This is Lord Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Then let's read Romans chapter 12 from verse 14 to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That is, if he continues to do evil while you're showing him good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what he's trying to say here. Preparing us for what will come to pass. Let's look at the slapping on one cheek. It could mean people are insulting you. They're telling lies against you. Bringing falsehood upon you. And the Lord is saying to you, don't burn with desire to retaliate. Don't even defend yourself. Leave it to me. That's basically what he's saying there. They slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. They insult you, ignore it. Because they are trying to draw you into what we call a rough or rough or fight. So ignore them. Oh, they're forcing you to go a mile. It could be inconveniencing you, unpleasantness. But go through it. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Then they take your coat. He says, give them the inner one. So for example, they commandeer what is rightfully yours. He says, let them take more. Don't worry about that. Don't fight for those things. Don't struggle for those things. They've taken you to court and they say, oh, they want to take this thing. Leave it in their hands. God knows what he's doing. Sometimes we find people after their parent has passed on and property has been willed. They engage in bitter fights. Brothers become enemies. Sisters become arch enemies over property, over things that were left behind. God said, leave those things alone. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he owns. No, his life is about what God has put in there. We're looking at how the baptism with fire can take place. Are you in a bad marriage? Stick to the fact that no divorce, if it is so challenging that the fellow would kill you, separate. Let there be a separation. But you must never have it in your mind that you are going to have a divorce or that you are going to remarry. No, you must be willing to live with it. Sometimes we entered into these bad marriages because we did not listen to God in the first place. And then when the consequence comes, we are trying to avoid it and to explain it away. I say, but what can I do? You did not take the time to find out in the first place who God wanted you to marry and you went into that marriage. No problem, you are in that marriage. Stay with it. Recognize that there is no divorce in marriage and that even if the other party divorced you, there's no remarriage. Recognize that, especially if you both got married as believers. There's no divorce and there's no remarriage after divorce if there's ever anything like a divorce. And these are the tests that we go through. I heard the story of a woman. She had gotten married to this man. I'm not so sure they were believers, but I think the woman eventually got born again. After they had had a child, the man had an epiphany that he was gay. And he started going to gay bars. He began to live a homosexual lifestyle. And the woman was in that house. And the man would come home drunk and lie down on that same bed. And the woman was wondering what was going on. Then she went to God and began to pray. Lord, what do I do? This man, I married him as a heterosexual. Now he says he's homosexual and that's what he wants. And the Lord told the woman, if you will walk with me, I will save your husband's soul. And the woman said, Lord, I'm ready to walk with you. And this woman walked with God, prayed. It took 10 years, 10 years. At the end of 10 years, that man suddenly came home one day. The hand of God had touched him and everything that was homosexual vanished from his life. After he returned home that day, he got saved and began to walk in the small steps of a young believer. Today, he's a minister of the gospel, bringing marriages together, helping people in marriage. That's what God can do. So what are you going through that you think, oh, you must jump out? No, go through it. That's baptism with fire. 
It can come in your marriage. It can come with a child, a problem child. It can come in several phases. And it can take years. You must be willing and ready to go through with it. Is it the issue of childlessness? The way some pastors even preach about having children, you will think the repository is with them. But it's not so. Some people, yes, sometimes a short prayer and they will have it. Some other times, it doesn't matter how much you pray. Because it is the will of God. There's nothing you're going to do. No matter how much Zechariah and his wife would have prayed. The only child they were going to have was John the Baptist. And he had to come six months before the Messiah. So it didn't matter how much they cried, how much they fasted, how much they went for one program or the other. Nothing would have happened until the time God has specified. So let's stop being deceived because it's the deception of sorts. And we must be very careful. Many people are getting themselves into all kinds of things. Doing IVF, buy babies, engaging in kidnap activities. Some people steal other people's babies and, sell, and they are happy to buy the baby when they know nothing about the origin of that child. Some people have invested in baby making factories, getting small girls to sleep around, get pregnant, and they take the baby and sell off. And you have Christians buying these children all over the place. The genuineness of their faith has been tested and they've been proven to be wrong. Then he talks about praying for those who despitefully use you and those who hate you still and hate you the more. That is baptism with fire. God will tell you, do this for this person. You will do it. And the fellow will not even give you thanks. Are you going to get angry? Are you going to say, because of that, I'm not going to help him again? What if God tells you to do that? In Acts chapter 7, verse 58 to verse 60, Stephen was being stoned. Yet he was praying for the people stoning him that God should not charge it to their account. Can we do that? That is like adding insult upon injury. It is bad enough that they are stoning you. Then you will pray. And you would have expected that ah, he's praying for them, that they would at least have shown some signs. Okay, let's stop the stoning. They stoned him till he died. In Psalm 35, verse 11 to 16, even though it's an imprecatory psalm, but I just read a portion of it to drive home the point I'm trying to make here. Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. That is, I fasted when they were sick. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. Every time I prayed, because they were not receiving it, it came back to me. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. I did so much, but in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered together. Attackers gathered against me, and I did not know it. Backbiting by people you trust, people that you have been helping, they tore at me and did not cease. With ungodly mockers at feasts, they gnashed at me with their teeth. What would you do? Would you be cursing them? Would you ask God to come and destroy them? Would you ask God to come and kill them? What if God says to you, and that is what a Christian is supposed to do. Yes, the Bible says we should pray for all men in authority. Pray for president. We may not like them. Pray for them. So people are hurting you. Pray for them. You are going through a baptism with fire. You are going to come out on the other end better, sharper, stronger in your faith, in Christ, in your relationship with God. Can you feed those who hate you and not feel that you are being asked to do more than what they have done against you? Do you want to retaliate? Do you want to avenge? Do you believe what God said, that you should not avenge yourselves, but that you should wait that vengeance belongs to God? Are you ready to do that? This is how baptism with fire comes. Sometimes they are the special ones, and then they are the everyday ones. You, you recall the Lord Jesus Christ. On one occasion, they brought a woman, they said they caught a woman red-handed in adultery, and said to him, the law of Moses says that she should be stoned. The Lord just knelt down writing, I'm sure receiving instructions from heaven on how to answer them. And he answered them, still from the word of God. If anyone here does not have sin, let him be the first to cast stone. They all left. Because they were smitten in their hearts that what they were doing was wrong. If you caught a woman red-handed in adultery, where was the man? 
How come you didn't bring the two? Because the Bible says the two of them should be stoned. But they didn't bring the man. They brought the woman. And the Lord told the woman, I'm not holding this against you, but don't do it again. It doesn't mean that God sanctioned it. No. The issue was that the Pharisees wanted to use that woman as a means to get at the Lord. But through wisdom, he was able to overcome it. So there are life challenges. They come in different forms. Trickery, building doubt, getting you to doubt the word of God, getting you not to believe the word of God and so on and so forth. And all these things happen. Then there's the issue of persecution for the sake of the gospel. In Acts chapter 5, 40 to 42, when the disciples were preaching, they grabbed them. They wanted to kill them, but Gamaliel advised them against it. They grabbed them and beat them. The disciples left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That is how we are supposed to behave. They rejoiced. You mean we can be brought to book on account of the Lord Jesus Christ? You mean what the Lord said is actually true? That we can be counted worthy to be flogged? Oh, glory be to God. And after that, they went on ahead and continued to preach. They didn't stop preaching. In Acts chapter 14, I read verse 19 and 20. The Bible says, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, you can imagine they stoned you. And when you got up from the stoning, you go back into the city. These are people who understood that they had to suffer for Christ. They understood the meaning of tribulation, of trials, of deprivation, of persecution. Today's Christianity is a Christianity of convenience, a Christianity of comfort, a Christianity of pleasure. And what can I have? But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. He preferred rather to suffer for Christ with the slaves. How many of us would do that? Is it with the gospel of prosperity that we are preaching today? In Acts chapter 16, 16 to 34, Paul and Silas cast out a demon from the girl. When the masters of the girl saw that they were not going to have any profit again, they grabbed Paul and Silas, took them before a magistrate, had them flogged and threw them into prison. Whilst they were in that prison, they began to praise God. The Bible says they put them in the dungeon and put their feet in stock. So it wasn't convenient. But they were there praising. The Bible says that the entire prison heard them singing and suddenly the gates opened, chains fell. Finally, the prison warden was saved, him and his family. But do you know that they did not sing that song or pray because they wanted to be free? It was a standard thing for them to praise God at the end of the day. And they did not blame God for what had happened. Little did they know there was somebody in that prison, a jailer, who would never have had access to them. And so God brought the gospel to that jailer in the prison. The way by which he took Paul and Silas into that prison was for them to cast the demon out of that girl and then they will be thrown in prison. Today, we don't want to go near prisons, not even for visitation, let alone be sent into prison. We do everything possible to avoid being arrested. We will even summon God and say, we are going to curse you in the name of Jesus. Do you know who I am? When they told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow before Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 to 30. I said, O king, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. The God that we serve, he will deliver us. But we want you to know, sir, if he does not deliver us, we are not going to bow. They threw them into the fire, but God was there with them. But they had made up their minds that even if God did not come, they are not going to bow and they will still be loyal to God. Can you do that? These are the challenges. I've had young ladies, Christians, who have slept with people because they were threatened that they will sack them from work or they will not give them a job. They say, what can I do? What do you mean, what can you do? Let them go with their jobs. So you prefer to lose your salvation, to lose eternity because you want to keep a job and you will have sex with somebody? I mean, think about it. I've seen people who say, what else could I have done? They falsified figures because they are trying to retain a job. What is about the position that you cannot say, please carry your job. I don't do this. In chapter 6 of Daniel, they brought a decree that no one is to pray to any king 
except to King Darius. When Daniel knew that they had signed the decree, he went ahead and prayed. They brought him. Darius realized that, oh, this was a trap for him. But it was too late. He said, okay, throw him into the lion's den. The king could not sleep. The next morning, he went, Daniel, are you there? As your God saved? He said, oh, I'm here. My God has shut the mouth of the lions. That's how Daniel came out. Why don't we have that kind of backbone? Because we don't understand that these are things that we must go through. We are receiving a watered-down gospel that is not correct. Brethren, we must be prepared. We must be ready at all times for our baptism with fire. And by the grace of God, when we are prepared, when we have the Spirit of God in us, and have taken the Word of God to heart, and we are ready to stand firm in faith, we will not fail, we will not fall, we will not faint. God will be there to help us. He is there to help us. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to the place where we will go through our baptism with fire. Yet, he is there to give us tips on how to overcome. The Bible says there is no temptation taking us. That's not common to man. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But God will, with that temptation, make a way of escape. He will sustain us even in it. He will get us out of the place. Brethren, I want to leave you with this. Stand firm in the knowledge of God, in your fellowship with him. Know that God did not save you to come and throw you away. He saved you because he wants you with him in heaven. And whatever you need to go through, go through it. And you will find the help of God in every fire, in every flame, in every challenge, in every trouble. You will hear God saying to you, this is the way, walk in it. And until we meet again, God bless you.